Welcome to Deprogram, the Progressive Program, a primer to progressivism, history, strategy, rules, and application. To begin to deprogram, we'll start with the Progressive Playbook 101. Below are a few of the principles and guidelines that the progressives use to control your behavior and implement their Marxist agenda. As noted, progressives need to deconstruct and destroy functioning governments to replace them with Marxism. Their wish list is to devour free societies, free market, free speech, individual liberty, and limited government. They need to destroy the Constitution, the Electoral College, and state elected senates. They need to pack the courts with activist judges, expand the bureaucratic fourth branch of government, and create an Athenian democracy of 51% popular vote that opposes our republic. They prefer everyone make $20,000 per year rather than the poor make $50,000 and the rich make $500,000. Their noble end that justifies their means is radical egalitarianism. Socialism relies on male content and is an all-incumbent pre-planned society with finite economies and knowledge. It eventually becomes a police state controlled by an elite ruling class. The first playbook tactic is political correctness. Contrary to popular belief, modern communism began prior to Marx and Engels and can be traced back to the French Revolution, where political correctness is believed to have begun. After the bloody chaos in which many of the revolutionary organizers succumbed to their own fate on the guillotine, the French aristocrats imposed political correctness to regain societal control. The term first appeared in Marxist-Leninist vocabulary following the Russian Revolution of 1917. It was used to describe obedience to the policies and principles of the Communist Party and to their party line. In the setting of George Orwell's novel, 1984, Oceana was a fictional totalitarian state. To meet Oceana's ideological requirements of English socialism, INSAG, the ruling party created a language called Newspeak. Newspeak was a controlled language of restricted grammar and limited vocabulary meant to limit freedom of thought, personal identity, self-expression, and free will which threatens the ideology of the regime of Big Brother and the party who have criminalized such concepts into thought crime as contradictions of INSOG orthodoxy. Today, the progressives claim that political correctness prevents offensive language towards race, gender, sexual orientation, and others. Often, the progressives perceive offensive language where none exist. The actual purpose of progressive political correctness is to censor, curtail freedom of speech, limit public debate, and control thought process, such as immigrant invaders, illegal aliens, anchor babies, lynching, Covington kids, Kavanaugh hearing, and others. Political correctness favors the progressives' chances of acquiring complete political and behavioral control and demonstrates obedience to the policies and principles of the progressive party into their party line. Political correctness is embedded in all communist movements, including the old Soviet Union. The Maoist Communist Party of China controlled speech and shamed one into submission or compliance by using what they called struggle circles. Progressives practice this today during their demonstrations. Once their victim is targeted, they chant shame on you or shame, shame, shame. The communist Chinese also participated in self-deprecation, a ritual called Maoist autocritique. This is likened to today's white males considered by the progressives to be oppressors, even though they're in their own country. White people must drink the progressive guilt Kool-Aid, degrade and flagellate themselves with mantras such as white privilege. Strangely, this deconstruction of social order does not seem to be prevalent in the countries where the invaders come from. 
There's no claim of brown privilege in Mexico, black privilege in Ethiopia, or yellow privilege in China. Some see political correctness as more than just controlled thought speech, more of a psychology, a mentality, a way of life, one that says you should strive for mediocrity, the status quo, rather than greatness. Success should be resented rather than admired. Achievers are considered the enemy and non-achievers the victim. Among other anti-American hostilities aimed at eroding American values, destroying our way of life, and maintaining the status quo are the progressives' avocation of open borders and declining educational standards. A second tactic in the progressive playbook is identity politics. Progressive Marxists rely heavily on identity politics. Political positions that focus on concerns of social groups, such as gender, race, ethnicity, or sexual orientation, such as Black Lives Matter, La Raza, LGBT, Hashtag Me Too, and others. For centuries, like-minded people have joined. The Knights Templar in medieval times, philosophical societies during the Enlightenment era. Identity politics, however, goes a step further. It involves utter disdain for anyone that does not agree with its agenda. Matthew Cantonini, the editor of the Washington Free Beacon, pegs 1973 as the birth year of identity politics, the year Schultz and Ensign's book, The Gulag Archipelago, demolished any pretense of communism's moral authority. Identity politics may have gained a foothold in America 40 years earlier than Cantonini's benchmark. In the early to mid-1930s, the Jews escaping Nazism brought Marxism from the School of Frankfurt, Germany, to America. Marxism gained traction in Germany when they used identity politics to divide the guilds. In America, they tried to overthrow our government and replace capitalism with Marxism by using identity politics to divide and defeat the strong middle-class coalition, but failed. Today's progressive Marxists use identity politics to gain moral authority over certain groups in order to overthrow our government. They use it to sensationalize fictitious struggles between the colonizer and the colonized, victimizer and the victim, oppressor and the oppressed. Then as now, the Marxists infiltrated our universities. In the 1930s at Columbia University, Frankfurt German Jews injected their Marxist studies in critical theory classes in the liberal arts department. Critical theory uses the social sciences to criticize and destroy the status quo, social rules, and norms. The idea is to make society meaningless and unworkable, paving the way for the cultural revolution. Marxists use critical theory with multiculturalism and diversity to identify groups and then divide them against each other. Now American universities in support of the movement have new studies, African American, Chicano, gender, and women, among others. Irving Kristol wrote, What these radicals blandly call multiculturalism is as much a war against the West as Nazism and Stalinism ever were. Paraphrasing Heather MacDonald, Manhattan Institute fellow and best-selling author of The War on Cops and The Diversity Delusion, students of the 1980s only need to know what race an author is to know if the content should be dismissed without reading it, and then go on to wallow in their own delusional depression. Students are taught to hate Western civilization, themselves, and others. From the moment they step on campus, they are taught identity politics, that they are either a victim or an oppressor. Oppressors are most famously heterosexual white males, and the only way to get out of their oppressor category is to become an ally of the oppressed. 
there is a massive bureaucracy dedicated to instilling in students a delusional sense of their own oppression that prevents them from seeking an open mind and knowledge. They then carry this delusion of victimology into the world at large, blaming American institutions for endemic racism when it's no longer true. One reason college tuition is so expensive is the presence of all the diversity programs. For example, UCLA's Vice Chancellor of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion makes over $400,000 per year. A third progressive playbook tactic is multiculturalism. Sociologists and psychologists have found that diversity and multiculturalism, not assimilation, create isolation, crime, depression, low wages, welfare, crumbling communities, as well as other detrimental factors. Academia, however, protects their funding by suppressing their own studies, such as the longitudinal study done by Harvard's political scientist, Robert Putman, which demonstrates the pitfalls of multiculturalism. Putnam's massive study, based on detailed interviews of nearly 30,000 people across America, found that the greater the diversity in a community, the fewer people voted, the less people volunteered, the less people gave to charity, and the less people worked on community projects. In the most diverse communities, neighbors trust one another only about half as much as they do in the most homogeneous settings. This study, the largest on civic engagement in America, found that virtually all measures in civic health are lower in more diverse settings. The study is already being cited as proof of the harm large-scale immigration causes to the nation's social fabric. Putnam is the nation's premier guru of civic engagement, and both Bill Clinton and George W. Bush made him one of the country's most widely known social scientists. Putnam notes, it would be unfortunate if politically correct progressivism were to deny the reality of the challenge to social solidarity posed by diversity. Putnam claims the U.S. has experienced a pronounced decline in social capital, a term he helped popularize. Social capital refers to the social networks, friendships, religious congregation, or neighborhood associations that he says are key indicators of civic well-being. When social capital is high, says Putnam, communities are better places to live, neighborhoods are safer, people are healthier, and more citizens vote. A fourth tactic of the progressive's playbook is concept creep. Chaos is the friend of Marxism. In the 1930s, 55% of the people joining the brown shirts were former communist or socialists known as beefsteak Nazis, brown on the outside, red on the inside. Like today's progressive Marxists, the 1930s Soviet politician Leon Trotsky and other revolutionary Russian Marxists used the media as well as entertainers to vilify all opposition to the Communist Party. Then as now, they used a strategy known as concept creep that constantly broadens their ideological concept. As Nick Haslam, a professor of psychology at the University of Melbourne, Australia, stated, Concept creep broadens moral concern in a way that aligns with a liberal social agenda by defining new kinds of experience as harming and new classes of people as harmed. Below are four current examples of concept creep in action. Example 1. To diminish Trump, the progressives, entertainers, and media outlets try to pair or associate him, his supporters, nationalism, and American patriotism with Nazis and racism. First, they call Trump a Nazi, a nationalist, and a racist. 
Second, violently opposing anyone attending Trump rallies, they associate Trump supporters with Nazis, nationalists, and racists. Third, anyone wearing a Make America Great Again mega hat is labeled a Trump-supporting mega hat-wearing Nazi national racist. Fourth, anyone associated with Trump is a Trump-supporting mega hat-wearing Nazi national racist. Example 2. Laguna Beach, California has been infiltrated by illegals, many of whom are objecting to the new police car that displays the American flag. They claim they are now an international town, and the police car display represents Trump, Trump supporters, mega hats, Nazis, nationalists, and racists, and they want it removed. Peter Blake, Laguna Beach's councilman, says the group opposing the police car display is now claiming the American flag itself represents Trump, Trump supporters, mega hats, Nazis, nationalists, and racists, and they don't want the American flag displayed. Blake claims some members objecting to the new police car display have now gone as far as claiming America represents Trump, Trump supporters, mega hats, Nazis, nationalists, and racists. Blake wants to know, at what point does it stop? The Pledge of Allegiance at the city council meetings? Their 4th of July celebrations? Their Patriots Day parade? Does the flag have to go? Example 3. One day you might wear a mega hat, only to have your favorite entertainers, most media outlets, and progressive organizations target, vilify, and destroy you, labeling you a racist fascist pig in accordance with Saul Alinsky's doctrine. The next day you might speak out against socialism, and you again find yourself labeled a racist fascist pig. The next day you might deny human-caused climate change exists, and once again you are targeted, vilified, and labeled a racist fascist pig. Perhaps you also support capitalism, individual liberty, lower taxes, personal property rights, small government, Trump, God, the antithesis of the progressive ideology, you will again be labeled a racist, oppressive, fascist pig and be targeted and destroyed. Example 4. Likened to the French Revolution to usher in their progressive Marxism, the progressive Marxists are intent on wiping the United States culture from existence. First they decide that the Confederate statues and symbols are racist and must go. The next day they decide the Founding Fathers are racist and their statues and any representation of their existence must be removed. Next, all Civil War then presidential monuments, paintings, and icons must be expunged. Then Jesus, stained glass windows, and any symbolism representing religion, America, or Western civilization must be purged. Then they come for your property, your home, then you. Eventually, everything except the progressive Marxist agenda becomes racist, white privilege, and oppressive. And only Marxist ideologies will be tolerated. The progressive's ideological concept continues to expand from one idea to another until you cannot speak or think anything other than what they want you to think, at which point, ironically, you are labeled a fascist. A fifth tactic progressives use to stigmatize and force compliance is hate speech, which is used by social media CEOs, educators, and the media, among others. Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, has announced that hate speech will no longer be allowed on Apple's platform, that Apple will now be the arbiter of hate speech. At a September 9, 2018 congressional hearing, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey admitted to blacking out and censoring over 600,000 mostly conservative Twitter accounts and search engine results. Free speech has been replaced with Silicon Valley's conformity. 
High-tech social media CEOs like Cook, Dorsey, and Zuckerberg are now controlling your thoughts and your constitutional rights through Orwellian Newspeak by controlling the content allowed on your social media, such as speech, gun rights, politics, and political correctness. Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, and Laura Loomer have been permanently banned by Twitter for their conservative ideologies. Candace Owens, a black woman, was suspended from Facebook for saying white supremacy was not as big a threat as other ideologies. Diamond and Silk, two black conservative women, were thrown off Facebook until they testified at a congressional hearing. Michelle Malcolm was banned from Facebook for opposing censorship of those conservatives. Google boasted about their company's free exchange of ideas until James Damore argued in a Google in-house memo the inferiority of women in the tech world. Google's CEO promptly flew in, fired then trashed Damore so severely that it will be impossible for him to ever find a job in his field again. Another Google employee was severely reprimanded for sharing a National Review article. Tech entrepreneur Palmer Lucky was fired from Facebook for supporting Trump. Alex Jones has been suspended from all social media, even PayPal, because the heads of those platforms decided his conspiracy theories were hate speech. Dan Scavino, Trump's social media director, was banned from Facebook after his post was flagged by an algorithm. Several Republicans running for office during the 2018 midterms were booted from Google, Facebook, and Twitter, who censored their campaign information. Project Veritas videotaped the head of Google's responsible innovation program, Jen Janea, saying, We all got screwed in 2016. Elizabeth Warren is saying we should break up Google, and like, I love her, but she is very misguided. Like that will not make it better, it will make it worse. Because now, all those smaller companies who don't have the same resources that we do will be charged with preventing the next Trump situation. It's like a small company cannot do that. A leaked email written by Google staffer Liam Hopkins called conservatives PragerU, Jordan Peterson, and Ben Shapiro Nazis. Hopkins went on to say that he didn't think identifying far-right content was beyond our capabilities. Dr. Robert Epstein of Cambridge, a Democrat and well-respected publisher in the Journal of National Academy of Science, published an article regarding Google's search engine manipulation effect, CME. After exhausted research and statistical analysis, he discovered that Google influenced between 3 and 10.5 million votes in favor of Hillary Clinton during the 2016 election due to Google's search engine manipulation. He is now concerned that this same manipulation will influence over 60 million votes favoring Democrats in the 2020 election. Many software companies and their administrations aspire to become global elites like their predecessors, and their employees have unwittingly become closed-minded products of their software companies' environments. Mind the Gap, a secret Silicon Valley organization, is raising $140 million to defeat Trump in 2020. Exactly no Twitter staff and only one Facebook staff member has donated to Trump's campaign. As globalists, many tech companies' loyalties now lie outside of America. For example, Apple refused to assist the FBI in opening the iPhone of a terrorist who had links to Al-Qaeda who are threatening to harm Americans. Aiding in China's crackdown of Hong Kong protesters, Google banned an app that helped protesters avoid conflict with China's military. Astonishingly, Google will not help the U.S. military develop its drone artificial intelligence, AI, yet Google is inside communist China, assisting their military in developing their AI, touchscreens, cloud, and other technologies. Angela Merkel got caught talking to Zuckerberg on an open microphone about suppressing speech she did not like.
In the following months, Zuckerberg made several speeches promising to shut down hate speech, especially in Germany. When asked about Facebook's partisan censoring policies, Senator Macy Hirano, Democrat Hawaii, replied straight face, If you don't want to be censored, don't say anything we disagree with. This despotic supremacy tells you all you need to know about progressivism. Joseph Stalin said, Ideas are more powerful than guns. We wouldn't give our enemy guns. Why should we let them have ideas? Free speech is not only being controlled by the tech giants, but also through our networks, the progressive movement, and our schools. Here are just a few recent examples. Yasser Ali, a progressive independent reporter, was confirming the date for the first Democratic primary debate with the DNC. After the debate was confirmed, he was told to delay his report. Yasser refused, then was later contacted by the editor of politics for NBC News and MSNBC, Daphne Linzer, requesting that he delay his story. Linzer was not working on behalf of her network, but rather working on behalf of the DNC. Evidently, NBC and MSNBC News are working for the DNC. In another example, when Michael Avenetti accused Brett Kavanaugh of gang rape, NBC News sat on information that would have exonerated him. Obama publicly claimed that he never threatened to shut down the media, but behind the scenes he did plenty to try to silence it. He banned Fox News' Chris Wallace from an interview on health care reform. He labeled Fox News' James Rosen a criminal co-conspirator under the Espionage Act, seized his parents' phone records, seized the phone records of at least five phone lines connected to Fox News, and subpoenaed his emails. In May of 2013, the Associated Press, AP, revealed that the Obama Justice Department had been collecting months' worth of personal and work-related phone calls related to their publication. Virginia teacher Peter Vlaming was fired for addressing students by name instead of using pronouns. Ted Mancini was expelled from Chesser Academy for being a conservative. During a formal debate, two women yelled at him because he disagreed that Shakespeare was a pro-transgender and was disciplined. A faculty member that headed the disciplinary committee said that when you speak your mind and you're offending people in the room, that can be seen as part of harassment. If you make comments in class and those people feel uncomfortable, the initial burden is on you. Mancini then responded that he was offended because the school forced him to attend white privilege and toxic masculinity seminars, re-education classes. The disciplinarian then told him, since he was in the majority, the bar to offend him was set higher. Evidently, majorities must suffer repressive tolerance and are not afforded the same rights and privileges as minorities. People have stopped thinking. If a minority claims to be a victim, in order to avoid being called a racist, people just believe and go along with the victimology. The media report hoaxes because people identify with the victims. The media fabricates Trump reports because they get more clicks and more money. Similarly, politicians create panic and fear because it brings in donations and drives people to the polls. A sixth playbook tactic used by the progressives is projection. To better analyze this tactic and to keep our historical perspective, we first must look at a few 20th century figures that contributed to these basic progressive concepts. 